Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Anwar Sawaya. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and it is truly my privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Well, today we are continuing our series on the book of James. Um, If you have not been with us the last uh, few weeks, uh, I recommend that uh, perhaps you can listen to the first uh, three sermons on the subject. Uh, It will help you to understand more fully uh, the uh, preaching of God's word from the book of James. So let's turn to James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is the passage that we will be looking at this morning. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that uh, the the meditation of my heart and the words of of my mouth will be acceptable to you and life-giving to others. Help me this morning to get out of your way as you speak to us the word, your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I read an article written by a pastor in the the USA about an incident, incident that happened in his church. One morning, an old man walked into the church, and he looked like a homeless person. He had old clothes that were torn in so many places. He wore an old hat and broken glasses. His hair, were, uh, his hair was long, bushy, unkempt, 
He had a bushy beard and, quite frankly, did not smell so good. And as he walked in, most people ignored him and treating him like he wasn't even there. There was the, kind of the crowd departed as he walked in like departing the Red Sea. He walked in and everybody just got away from him. The ushers quickly stepped in, pointed him to a seat in the back of the church so he wouldn't be a distraction to others in the church. The service started, and this old man to continue to be pretty much ignored. He was ignored by all until it was time for the sermon. All of a sudden, this old man started to walk to the front of the congregation, and he made his way up to the pulpit. And everybody in the congregation was really confused on what was happening. But when he opened his mouth, everyone figured out what was happening. It was the pastor of the church in total disguise. And you guessed it. The passage that he was preaching on was James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The same passage that we are looking at this morning. Needless to say, the sermon was a very convicted, convicting sermon for the congregation. It was tough for them to hear. They were ashamed. They were convicted. Uh, and as a result, though, they repented as a congregation, and they changed the way that they treated one another and that they treated other people. So my hope this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we take time to look at the mirror of the perfect law of God and allow it to convict us and cause us to repent both individually and corporately of the sin of showing partiality or favoritism in the church. As I read the, this passage, you might have noticed that the main point or the main theme of this passage is this. Faith that loves shows no favoritism. Faith that loves shows no favoritism. And in terms of the sermon structure, we will see that this passage is divided into three parts. The first part is verse 1, where James strongly exhorts the believer not to show favoritism. And the second part is verses 2 through 11, where James gives us two reasons on why we should not show favoritism. And finally, part three is verses 12 and 13, where James proposes a solution to help us deal with favoritism. Okay? So James starts uh, this passage in verse 1 with a loving... Remember how he started, dear brothers and sisters, or brothers and sisters, 
James had a great affection for the churches that he was writing the letters to. But also, you will notice the language is strong and direct. So James gives, in that first verse, a direct, strong, a direct exhortation that really sets forth the trajectory for the rest of the passage. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James did not mince his words. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and confess him as, as Lord must not show favoritism to, towards others. Favoritism has no place in the church. It's important for us to define, to understand what favoritism is. What is favoritism? Well, the Greek word for favoritism has its root in the original Hebrew, in the original Hebrew language, and it's translated literally receiving the face, receiving the face. The idea is that a person will receive, accept, or judge others according to his or her face or his or her appearance. And more broadly, based on outward appearance and characteristic. Okay? Who are usually those who judge others according to their outward appearance or standard? Who does that? The people of the world do that. The world places a great value on factors such as economic status, color of skin, position of power, ethnic background, family background, and the list goes on and on. And at times in doing so, it has caused a great deal of harm to many groups of people. It has caused wars, oppression, persecution, and even genocide. If you don't believe me, look at the history of this world. History is full of such examples. Hinduism, for example, in India, they categorize their followers into four different castes. And the upper castes are bestowed upon are bestowed upon them many privileges, and the lower caste have experienced repression by the privileged groups. Or we can think of Nazi Germany, who taught that the Aryan race and ethnic Germans are far superior to any other race or any other ethnic group. And that type of favoritism and discrimination, as we know, has resulted in genocide, killing millions of people. Brothers and sisters, that type of thinking, worldly favoritism, when it infiltrates the church and is left unchecked and unconfronted, will lead to dividedness, 
and to the tearing of our churches apart. Remember from last week, Pastor Marwan, uh, he preached from James chapter 1. Uh, James told us in chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Friends, showing favoritism is to discriminate against those orphans and widows since they tend to be poor and is to be polluted. To think that way is to be polluted by the world way of thinking, which is diametrically opposite to the right practice and thinking of our faith in the Lord. Moving on, as I mentioned uh, earlier, in verses 2 through 11, James gives us two reasons why we should not show favoritism. Two reasons why we as Christians in our churches should not show favoritism. Reason number one, showing favoritism is judging others with evil intent. We see that in verses 2 through 7. Reason number two is showing favoritism is a violation of the royal law of God. We see that in verses 8 through 11. Let's read again verses 2 to 4 from, from James chapter 2. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my, by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and became what? Judges with evil intents or evil thoughts. So you notice in James 2, James shifts from his general exhortation of not showing favoritism to stating a specific example of favoritism that he's most likely seen or heard about happening in the house churches that were gathering in Palestine at that time. Believers were showing favoritism in their assemblies. Those who are rich, wearing gold rings, Rolex watches, driving Mercedes-Benz and, and, and BMWs, have Armani suits on, were shown partiality. They were treated with dignity and respect, seated in the front rows and getting all the attention of the ushers. While the ones who are poor, who were wearing shabby, maybe torn clothes, maybe they didn't have, don't have a place to, 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 to sleep. Maybe they just got back from work and they came from the field and they entered the meeting. 
perhaps they were a bit smelly. They didn't have time to shower or they don't have a place to shower. They were told to stand in the back of the assembly. But even worse than that, they were told to be seated on the floor by the footstools where people lay, at that time, lay their feet. Can you imagine the humiliation that these poor people experienced? Can you imagine if you walk in the sanctuary and you are told, you know what, you're not worthy to sit up front. Just go ahead, take a, a seat in the back. But you know what, forget that. There, there is space right here in between in between the chairs, the rows here. Why don't you go ahead and sit in between at our feet? That's probably better. In this way, probably no one can see you. How painful these things must be to the heart of our Lord. When he sees his people, the people that he saved, treating one another in such a cruel way. James will have none of that. That's why he uses a very direct language. You know how many times James used you, your assembly. You are doing this. You are not doing that. I've counted over 14 times he was being direct with them. Because... It was breaking his heart what was going on in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, James asked a, a rhetorical question. It was really a rebuke. What are you doing, church? What are you thinking? Don't you realize when, that when you copy the world's action? You are also copying their evil intent. When we care about the richest person money for our church budget more than we care about the, the, about the poor in our church, that is evil. God is our ultimate provider for the church and not man. And we need to trust his provision. We don't need to show favoritism so that we can get money, tithing or whatever from the rich person. No. No, we don't. Now, I'm not saying we treat rich people, you know, in a bad way. I'm just saying we cannot show that kind of partiality. When we are ashamed of the poor in our midst because what they look like or what they're dressing, the way they dress, or what image they project on our church as we welcome new visitors, or because they make us uncomfortable. That is favoritism, and that is evil. Brothers and sisters, let me submit to you that we can show patriality in so many other different ways. 
when we only have deep fellowship in the church with those of the same nationality, ethnic background, same language, we are showing partiality towards others who are different from us in the church. We need to break down these walls, ethnic walls of hostility. We can also shave, show favoritism based on marital status and decide as married couples to only spend our time with other married couples like us. And we perhaps, maybe not intentionally, but deep down, we look down on those who are single. Oh, look at them, poor single people. Look at us, happy married couples, you know. Or we look for a church that have pastors who are hip. In this church, there's only one pastor who's hip, and it's not me. Who has charismatic personalities, who, who, have, who have charismatic personalities, are up to date in the latest trends in church life. Knows how, they know how to excite people. Instead of looking of a church of substance that is faithful in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ week in, week out, regularly, faithfully, clearly proclaiming God's word so that we can all grow in our faith and in a love for Jesus Christ. Us pastors are also guilty of showing favoritism. How about when we as pastors give our time only to those that we like? The inner circle, if you will. Those that we kind of appreciate. Maybe fast learners. Maybe, maybe I don't know, we, we, you know, they have characteristics that we really, that we click together. But we don't spend much time with others. That is showing partiality. Brothers and sisters, discrimination and favoritism has no place among God's people. James continues in verse 5 and the first part of, of, of verse 6 by reminding us that God has chosen the poor the downtrodden, the marginalized to be what? Rich in faith. James writes this. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that has, he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Ouch. Ouch. In the Gospels, we see Jesus spending a significant amount of, amount of time with the poor. He hung out with them. He shared his life with them. He fed them. He taught them. And he loved them deeply. Those same poor people that we tend to treat 
with absolute disrespect are the same people who have been chosen by God like you and I and the Lord of glory and that the Lord of glory has spilled his blood for them as well. And even though they might be poor in this world in terms of finances, they are made rich by the Lord. They are made rich by the Lord. They are the apple of his eyes. They are rich because Jesus died for their sins. They are rich because they were given the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Holy Spirit when they were saved. They are rich because they were being sanctified daily by the word of God so that they would reflect the glory of Christ. They were rich because they were heirs of the greatest kingdom that ever existed and that will ever exist, and that is the kingdom of God. And yet, James tells them, you have dis dishonored them. How dare you? You know, the Apostle Paul expresses the same sentiment in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, when he says, when he wrote, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then again, in, 1, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul again says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Why? So that by his poverty, you who come to faith in Christ, rich or poor, male or female, Gentile or Jew, you might become rich. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 in 35, Luke tells us this. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God does not show favoritism. Indeed, God does not show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Then in verses as he as as James continues continues on in verses 6b and the second part of 6 and and verse 7 James shows us and shows the believers the irony and foolishness of what they were doing they are favoring the very people who for the most part tend to persecute and stand against the church Listen to what he says. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? It's ironic. Now, having said that, we need to be careful not to fall into the liberation theology and liberation theology, uh, where 
they teach that poverty is a virtue and richness, being rich is sin. That's not what James is trying to do, to, to say here. He is dealing with the issue of partiality and not strictly the virtue of the lack of um, uh, based on our on the virtue of being rich or the lack of being rich based on our economic status, okay? Being poor, so, so let me just explain that. Being poor does not automatically qualify you for entering the kingdom of God. That's not what James is saying. And being rich does not automatically disqualify you from entering the kingdom of God. It is true that the poor tend to be more open to the message of the gospel as they see more readily their neediness. They see it more clearly. But they still must trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord to enter the kingdom of heaven. In the same way, the rich, who tend to be more closed to the message of the gospel because of their, their reliance on their own wealth, are not blocked from entering the kingdom because they are rich. But if they also, but they also can enter the kingdom of God by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All people, the Bible said, we are all sinners. Rich, poor, white, black, doesn't matter what ethnic background you come from. Okay, we're all sinners that the Bible uh, tells us. And that we all, in order for us to be restored to a right relationship with, Christ, with God, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, gave up his body, was, rose again, so that those who trust in him might have eternal life in him. Well, you might be here this morning... And you might not know this Lord. You might not have a, a relationship with Christ. You, not, you might not be saved. I want to implore you to consider Jesus. And if you have any questions regarding that, please feel free to talk to me, to Pastor Marwan, or to any other member of our church. Your eternal destination depends on it. So the first reason not to show favoritism is because in doing so, we are judging others with evil intent. The second reason is showing favoritism is a violation of God's royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. We see that in verses 8 and 9. It says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You are reaping what you are sowing. You're doing good. If, however, you show favoritism, what happens? You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, an expert in the law, teacher, 
This is starting from verse 30, 36. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Jesus did not stop there. What did he say? The second is like it. So this is 1A, love the Lord your God, and 1B, love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John, it says, if you don't love your brother whom you see, that means you do not love God who you do not see. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Those two things summarize for us the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord, uh, love the Lord your God is a summary of the four, first four commandments. And love your neighbor as yourself sums up the six other commandments, the rest of them. So James is telling us, when we show partiality, then we are not showing the love of God to others. And therefore, we are violating the greatest command that Jesus has given us. Now, there is a temptation, there is always a temptation as believers to downplay our sins, don't we? And to really highlight the good stuff that we do. And the reason we do that is we don't want to be too convicted. Or we want to just justify, we're insecure, we want to justify ourselves. And maybe feel better about ourselves. Well, James will have none of that. In verses 10 and 11, he tells us, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles, stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Verse 10, so verse 10 tells us that if we do everything right, which is impossible to do, but if we do that, except that we break one command, we commit one sin, that sin of favoritism, then we are guilty in breaking the whole law of God. Why? Because we are rebelling against the authority of the lawgiver. When we break one part of the law, we are, we are transgressors. We are lawbreakers. We are guilty and deserving God's wrath. The Bible tells us clearly that that the, that, that, the, uh, uh, that the consequence of sin is death. One sin will cause our separation from God. Adam and Eve committed one sin, command of God, and they were separated from him. Jesus gives us an example in verse 11 showing us the folly of such thinking. He's, he tells us, you know, well, if you don't commit adultery, but you murder someone, you are still a lawbreaker. Imagine going to a judge after, uh, after committing a murder and defense, and your defense is something like this. Your honor, 
I know that I just committed murder, but I did not commit adultery. I did not steal. I actually honored my parents. I'm actually pretty good at home, and I regularly give to the poor. So judge, I think I should be acquitted. I should be declared innocent. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You commit murder, you are a lawbreaker. Doesn't matter how many other things that you've kept. God is not an accountant keeping track of our debits and credits of our actions. Debits being our sins and credits being our good works. And God kind of, you know, he, he does not judge us based on whether we have more credit than debits or vice versa, more debits than credits. That's not how God works. He does not judge us on a scale as some would have us believe. God does not have this giant scale in heaven which has two sides. And on one side, he places the, your good works. On the other side, he places your, good, your bad uh, your sins, and whatever, however the scale tips, then you are either innocent or guilty. That is absurd. That is absurd. Our good works, brothers and sisters, have no power to atone for our sins. Our good works cannot cover our sins. Our good works cannot make up of our sins only Jesus by his shedding his blood on the cross can atone for our sins that is not biblical Christianity that is a theology of our own imagination well finally in the last two verses 12 and 13, James gives us a solution for showing favoritism. In verse 12, he tells us, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, is instead of showing favoritism live as people who must give an account of our words and actions to him who has given us the law of freedom do that which the law requires not that which the world tells us to do love others show others mercy don't show partiality. Come alongside the poor and help them out. And the good news is that when we fail to do so, we have an advocate who is more than willing, our advocate Jesus Christ, who is more than willing to forgive and show us mercy if we repent. But if we keep going, the reason is because mercy triumphs over judgment. But, be, but be, be warned, brothers and sisters, that if we continue of not showing mercy to others, 
to those who are downtrodden, to those who are poor, if we continue and continue to show partiality, then do not expect to receive the mercy of God. So the solution, brothers and sisters, is make every effort by the grace of God to show no partiality and to show mercy to others. Let me conclude with uh, really a personal note, and actually it's more of a confession. I have to admit that this was not an easy passage to prepare for. As I read and reread the passage to prepare the sermon, my heart was pierced to the core. As the Lord exposed some of the prejudices that I have in my heart towards others. I was heartbroken. I thought of few people in my life that I might have judged with evil intent. And I had to repent. I had to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm really sorry of how I treated your people, the people that you have shed your blood for. Not only that, but I have to ask the Lord to help me to do better in this area. It is a very easy trap, brothers and sisters, to be entangled in. Showing favoritism comes in slowly, slowly into our hearts. And we begin to think that we are better than others or this person or that person deserves more or less attention from me. And we begin to think things with evil intent. It was heartbreaking for me. How about you, brothers and sisters? How are you doing in the area of showing favoritism? Who do you tend to gravitate towards on Sunday morning? Is it towards those who are well-dressed and seem to be more educated or eloquent? Or perhaps to those who might look and act more like us? Maybe they have common nationality, common ethnic background, common language. And more importantly, who do you try to avoid? Perhaps the one who are not dressed well. Maybe they are socially awkward. Maybe they don't smell so good. Who might not look or act like us. My prayer for us this morning is that the Lord will pierce, would pierce all our hearts if we are harboring favoritism in our hearts and in our actions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we, we know that your word is like a, a uh, it's living and active like a, a sharp sword, double-edged sword. 
Lord, we pray that the sword of the word will pierce our hearts this morning and would help us to repent where we need to repent, to ask for your help where we need to ask for your help. Help us not to show favoritism as the world does, but help us to love and show mercy to others who might not be like us. We ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen.